Good morning, everyone. Um, it's fantastic to be with you. Thank you for joining us online at EBI today. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is James. I've been coming to EBI for probably about five or six years now. Um, I've got two little boys and a lovely wife and we are involved at Ebi. We we run a home group and my wife Verity um, leads on, on all the children's work alongside uh, Jeff and Joe. So we are, you know, we love Ebi. We're passionate about Ebi and we love our community. And if you're watching this and you're not a member of Ebi, then thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. Um, yeah, it's just great to be able to speak to you this morning. Um, I'm at home doing this and uh, it feels a little bit weird. I'm going to be honest, I've done a couple of these in the last kind of year and a half or so. But um, it feels a little bit strange to still be doing it now. And I hope everyone is keeping well. So as you may know, our current series is looking at the Psalms and we've called it the Psalms with no filter. The idea being that we're going to be looking at some Psalms and, and trying to really get to, um, yeah, get to, to kind of, you know, what they're really all about. So what were they, um, what were the writers saying? What does it mean for us? And not to put any kind of glossy shine on them, but to kind of really understand why they're such an important part of our Bible. Um, and so this morning I'm going to be looking at Psalm 51. And um, so a little bit of context of Psalm 51 written by King David just after he has been rebuked by the prophet Nathan after um, after the, the Bathsheba incident, <laughs> as we can call it. Uh, and so that I will give a, a, a kind of what I'm going to do is I'll read Psalm 51 and then I'll give a I'll, I'll read a bit of um, a bit of a bit of two Samuel as well. So we get a bit of an idea of of when David is writing this psalm and where it's coming from. Uh, so let me let me just say a quick prayer for us and then read Psalm 51. Father God, thank you that we can all be together. This morning, whether we are, um, yeah, whether we're we're watching this at home alone or whether we are with with others as well, Lord, thank you that we are gathered together to to hear from you, because we know you and we love you. We want to hear what you have to say to us this morning. So yeah, I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us through um, through me, through through your word, through the Psalms, and through everything that we that we look at and read this morning. Amen. Um, like I said, I'm at home. My dog has just walked in to the room. Those of you who know us at Ebi will know Luna. Um, she's decided to walk in with one of her loudest, squeakiest toys. I'm going to persevere and carry on, and hopefully it won't be too distracting. Um, but if it is, then perhaps Stu can work his magic. Um, so yeah, let me read Psalm 51. A Psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired a faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and block out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from blood guilt, O God. You who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So that's Psalm 51, written, like I said, after David had been rebuked by the prophet Nathan after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And I won't read that whole, uh, that whole uh, story now. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and then chapter 12, but I'll give a quick summary of it. Um, so David is, uh, is, is king at the time, and he avoids going to war to stay at home. And one evening, he's on the roof of his palace, and he sees, he sees Bathsheba uh, in the bath. And he, um, he's attracted to her, and eventually that attraction leads to him committing adultery with her. Uh, she becomes pregnant. He realises that this is going to be a problem because her husband is at war. He gets the husband to come back from war, gets him drunk, tries to convince him to impregnate his wife. He refuses because his men are at war. He doesn't think it's right for him to be at home with his wife when his men are at war. So he refuses to do that, goes back to war. David then uh, makes it so that he's on the front line and he is killed in, um, yeah, he's killed while, while fighting uh, a war that David has sent him off to. Um, obviously, pretty grim situation. 
reads a little bit like kind of a Hollywood um, Hollywood movie. And what happens is that Nathan is a prophet of the Lord, and Nathan is sent by God to uh, to go to David and to rebuke him, essentially to tell him that uh, God knows what he's done. And he he uses a, a kind of a quite a clever little way of doing this. So he he lays out the story, says to David, "What do you think should happen?" Um, if someone does this and he says essentially what David has done and David says that's outrageous he should be punished and then Nathan says that was you uh, that was you David and that's where we um, that's where we get to with the beginning of the psalm so David has just been rebuked by Nathan and um, and then he he writes this psalm and I I think the first thing we can learn from this psalm is that David's uh, kind of instant recognition of his sin, when it's pointed out to him, obviously it takes him a little while to get there, he thinks that Nathan's talking about someone else, but when it's re when he realises this was you, there's an immediate um, recognition that he is in the wrong and he has sinned. And I find that incredibly refreshing uh, in in the kind of in the age of just like you know terrible apologies that we see from people when they are caught doing things wrong, I'm not going to name any names, but I'm sure we can all, um, you know, we all have uh, things that pop into our minds when we when we think about you know politicians, uh, film stars, musicians, anyone really, sports stars who get caught in the public eye. And they are kind of forced to issue a public apology. And it always comes across as uh, really contrived, um, not really true. You know, they're often just apologetic that they've been caught. And um, and there's no real, for the most part anyway, there's no real recognition of, of what their behaviour, um, you know, what's wrong with their behaviour and the hurt that it's caused. And I think what's refreshing is that we see with David, um, you know, we see him... Yeah, we see him instantly uh, recognise what he's done. And the first line, isn't it, of, of the psalm is, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfading love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Um, and then in, actually in, in Samuel, after Nathan uh, says to David, It is you that has done this. Samuel, uh, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. You shall not die. And that's encouraging as well, isn't it? Like an immediate recognition of his sin. And then a, a kind of um, a reminder, I suppose, that God has, uh, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. A reminder of God's grace to us, and um, in in the face of you know, for us, uh, for David, for you know, for us, when our sins are pointed out, that can that can feel like the worst possible thing, and we're waiting for the punishment to kind of come down and, and land upon us. But actually, there's that recognition and that reminder that God's grace is enough. Um, we shall not die. We've recognised our sin, and that God's grace kind of is is enough to. Is, to, is enough to cover that after we've recognised it and, and, and kind of owned it. Um, and David understands that. David understands God's righteousness, doesn't he? So in verse 7 it says, Cleanse me with hyssop 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and block out all my iniquities. So David understands God's righteousness. He knows that God is kind and merciful. And more than anything, he wants to restore David. And he wants to restore us from our sins. And I kind of think of it as, you know, the way that we might respond when someone comes to us and um, and just tells us that they're sorry for doing something. You know, like if you've got children, you know, when your children come to you and they are, you know, and they're truly sorry and repentant for their behavior, you know, we don't uh, we don't turn them away, do we? We don't um, we don't reject them. We don't tell them they need to apologize more. We don't expect a, a you know a grand gesture from them, you know that kind of that that contrite apology, that understanding of what you've done, and that desire to uh, to make it or not to just not to make it better, but to to acknowledge it and to move on from it is is enough. I uh, I was reminded when reading this of a situation um, a few weeks ago. I'd been out with my boys in the afternoon. Uh, and they, you know, they're they're eight and six. They bicker with each other. They've been spending a lot of time together recently, and um, and they bicker and they say mean things and they sometimes fight and hit each other. And it can get, you know, it can get quite frustrating as a parent and also for them uh, when they're kind of constantly winding each other up. Um, <clears throat> and you know, part of my role is to is to intervene when necessary and to try to try to help them to apologise and that kind of thing. But often it's you know, I'll say sorry to your brother, oh, I'm sorry. And it doesn't really mean anything, it's just the act of saying sorry. But actually, <clears throat> that that day, you know, they'd been at each other for, for a bit of the afternoon. And later on in the evening, <coughs> sorry, they were, in their, they were in their bedroom and they didn't know that I was just outside. I was, um, and I could hear what they were saying. And at one point, you know, just just in the in the normal conversation and and then playing their game, whatever they were playing, the youngest said to to the oldest, he said, "Oh, I'm sorry, I hit you earlier." And it was out of nowhere. They hadn't been told. He hadn't been told to say it. Just, oh, "I'm sorry, I hit you earlier." And his brother um, said to him, "Oh, that's okay." And then he and then his brother said, "I'm sorry, I was being a jerk. I'm sorry, I was annoying you. I'm sorry, I was being a jerk." And his little brother said, oh, that's okay. And they moved on and they carried on playing. And to me, that, like, that got me. That really, um, that, that, I thought that was lovely because they hadn't been told to do it. It was just an acknowledgement of their behavior, uh, an understanding that they'd hurt each other and a desire from within them to, to acknowledge it, to own it and to move on. And that's what they did. And I like to think that there's a, there's a, you know, there's a, that that's, that's what we're seeing here with um with the way that David uh understands God's righteousness you know he comes he he's called out and he yeah you know David says cleanse me with hyssop make me clean make me whiter than snow like he wants God to um to make the situation better he wants to move on he's sorry he's acknowledged it and he understands that God's righteousness is also you know, a desire to to move on and make the situation better. There's an interesting bit though where it says, and this is uh, skipping back 
slightly into verse 4 and it says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And so David also acknowledges that, uh, sorry, let me just, I've just got something to read from here. Let me just find this for a second. David acknowledges that his sin is against God, which seems odd in this context, doesn't it? Because like I said, it's, it's very much affects other people. If you go through the story, it affects Bathsheba, it affects her husband, it affects their unborn child, it affects the other people in the in the army that 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 her Bathsheba's husband is fighting with. Um, it doesn't just it's not just a sin against God. There are other people involved, but ultimately, ultimately, when we sin, the sin is against God. It involves other people, but what we read in the in this verse. Is, is David's understanding that all sin takes us further away from God. All sin is an affront to, to, to you know, who God wants us to be. And all sin makes our relationship with him just that little bit harder at that point. Um, and so David understands that. And so he acknowledges the sin and there's an acknowledgement that other people have been hurt. And that's really important when we, you know, if, if we, when we sin, we have to acknowledge the people that that sin affects and we have to try and make that better as well and we have to kind of you know there might be points where we need to apologize to people and to own what our behavior has done to them and how it's affected them but ultimately the sin is against God because God is the ultimate judge God has set out the standard by which he expects us to live and to and, and to live with other people and when we break that we're sinning against him and we're involving other people in that sin. And by recognizing that, by recognizing that our sin has, has you know, taken us away from God, we are actually that one step closer to restoring that relationship with Him. So in in verses uh, sixteen and seventeen, it reads. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And so David understands that God doesn't want sacrifices or kind of meaningless worship until we've dealt with our sin. And this doesn't mean that God's grace isn't sufficient to, um, to forgive our sins and our behaviour. But God cannot like, fully delight in our worship until we have not have acknowledged our sinful behaviour. So we can still, you know go to church we can still worship and we can still you know that can still be a real thing we can still mean that and it can still be um it can still be something that is that is good but it's not something that god can fully delight in while we're still 
living in in the sin that you know that's been that's been pointed out to us and that doesn't mean that we have to be completely sinless in order to worship that's impossible isn't it only only Jesus was sinless we're always going to have um things that we need to work on there's always going to be behavior that that needs to be that needs to be changed or needs to be um sorted out a little bit but we can we can offer uh, a contrite heart. So David says, my sacrifice is a contrite heart. And I, I find that really challenging. I find that actually, what, that, what David, I think, is saying there is that actually above, you know, wonderful worship and, and a wonderful sacrifice and burnt offerings, actually, like a real, a real act of worship in a situation like this is a contrite heart is to go into God and just saying I'm broken I'm wrong I, you know I've done something wrong um, and my act of worship at the moment is to just come before you and and acknowledge that and to and to kind of and to offer up my contrite heart my broken heart and to ask for you to to restore that and to restore me to you and so a true act of worship is is recognizing our sin and coming to God a little bit broken and asking to be restored. And that's something I've I've been challenged with, you know, many times in my life, you know, like I I was a I was a youth pastor in my previous role and you know there were times when you just go through the motions and you and you but you actually you realize that that something's not quite clicking and actually it's because you're living in 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 sin. You you know there's behaviours in your life that you know are wrong, and you know aren't kind of aren't aren't taking you closer in your relationship with God. But you continue to do them, and then you continue to you know to to to, to play the part as well, I suppose, and to worship and that kind of thing. And actually, what God's really looking for in that situation is just for you to say, actually, I you know, yeah, I offer you. My uh, my broken and contrite heart, rather than, uh, than than kind of this act of worship. And uh, you know the fantastic thing with that is that that you know God's grace leads to our restoration. That's essentially what we see in this psalm, isn't it? We see this is a story of of David um, being restored and being restored to be the man that God made him to be, and. God's grace is uh, is just never far away from us. We read, we, go, we skip back a little bit, and we read in um, yeah, we read in verse twelve. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. And so in that, in that, what we're seeing there is that David is, um, you know, he's acknowledging what he's done and he's asking to be restored. And what God's grace is, is that that restoration is, is then David becoming who he was made to be in, in Jesus. Um, and there are other examples of, of that happening in the Bible. One of the most famous ones is obviously um, is Peter. So after Jesus is sacrificed, Peter um, denies knowing Jesus three times. Peter 
one of Jesus' disciples lived with him, you know, worked with him for 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 most of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is uh, crucified and Peter said, actually, no, I didn't know him. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. So he three times, denies Jesus and then goes on the run. And then after Jesus is, um, is resurrected, there's that beautiful scene on the beach where Jesus actually is talking to Peter and he, he restores him. Jesus, uh, Peter acknowledges what he's done. He is incredibly contrite. He presents to Jesus his contrite, broken heart. And Jesus says to him, look after my flock, lead my church. And the church is then built upon Peter. He is restored to, um, to be the man that Jesus had always intended him to be. And that's what happens with David as well. David comes before God and he is, his grace leads to his restoration. And that is the, that's the, the, the wonder of grace, isn't it? Is, is just the way that it, it leads us into, um, into our relationship with God being, being so much stronger and being so much better and so much more powerful. And I just wonder, like, what does this look like for us? What does, uh, what does restoration look like for us in our lives? What is the sin that, that you know, we need to acknowledge? Um, and then what does, what does it look like to be restored to our purpose, with, uh, in, in, our, in our purpose with God, into our full relationship with him? David says, you know, restore me and then I will teach, I will tell transgressors of their ways. And so in being restored, others are then, you know, they're, they're given the benefit then of, 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 of David being restored. And I wonder for us, what are we missing out on? You know, are there people that we could actually be, that we could be ministering to, that we could be serving, but we're missing out on, on that opportunity because we haven't, um, allowed our, our relationship with God to be fully restored yet. It's not always uh, an easy thing. It can be a really painful process. I'm sure this wasn't easy for David to be rebuked by Nathan and to go through this process. You know, the Psalms are full of his his lament and his kind of pain and, and, and he writes quite openly and honestly, doesn't he? And so this isn't a simple process. This isn't a case of like, oh, well, instantly I'm restored. This can be painful and it can be hurtful, um, but it always, it should always lead to uh, to restoration and, and, and to a fuller relationship with God. And I think the, the final thing that I want to say is that it's so important for us to have people in our lives who can, um, who can rebuke us in love and kindly, um, but to have people in our lives who, when they come to us and they say, I think that this is a problem. I think this is something that you need to work on. I think this behavior is, is stopping you from having that full relationship with God. This behavior is stopping you from living out your purpose that God intended for you. I think having people in our lives who can do that is, is incredibly important and, um, and can be, yeah, you know, people who want the best for us and who love us. And who, when they speak to us, we listen and we hear and we know that they want us to be in a 
relationship with God, which is in the right place. I think that's really important. I've had that in my life a few times. You know, people that I know and love and trust and I know have my best interest at heart have, have sat me down and said, actually, these are the things that I think are, um, yeah, are stopping you from having the best relationship with God that you could have at the moment. And I don't think you're living at your full purpose. And it's been painful and it's been uh, it's been hard, but it's been like it's always it's always led to restoration. It's always led to me uh, just knowing God a little bit more and seeing His work in my life uh, be more fruitful. So I think putting those people in your life is really is really important, and asking God to you know to to show you who those people are, uh, and to give them permission to to challenge you can be really really special. Um, and that's that's what we want, isn't it? We want that restoration. We want to be closer to God. We want our relationship with Him to be as strong as it possibly can be. I'm going to say a quick prayer for us as I finish. Father God, thank you for this time together. And I pray, Lord, that you will be speaking to us now. Thank you for um, for these, these lessons that we can that we can learn from the way that you worked in the life of David. And thank you that you want to restore us. You want us to be closer to you. You want us to come to you honestly and openly because you love us and you want that, your relationship with us to be as good as it can be. Amen. Thank you, everyone, and I look forward to seeing you all soon.